Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this week's UFC prelims card. Paid Bloody Elbow Podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content, if available, at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here are your hosts, Bloody Elbow Fight Analysts, Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA Vivid section with me, Zane Simon, my co-host, as always, Connor Rebush. We're here once again talking about this week's UFC card going down at the boobity boo in blah 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 at the Apex facility in Laws. I didn't actually check when we did the main Bibby mm. where this is taking place, but the Apex facility, because where the hell else would you put Grant Dawson? Yeah. In Las Vegas, Nevada. The roar of the crowd. <laughs> supporting Grant Dawson's thrilling fighting style. And yeah, headlined by a lightweight bout between Grant Dawson and Bobby Green on a card that is fine. It just doesn't... The prelims and the main card both have about the same amount of sticking power. Yeah, really. I think I think it's fine. I mean... It's fine. It's just all the same up and down. Main event's a bummer, but it's just a bunch of like quality undercard fights. As far as I'm concerned, that's all I need out of a fight night card. Exactly. So sure, yeah. Yeah, I got no problem with it. Not heavy on uh, not heavy on ranked fighters, as our producer has pointed out. But um, it's also not. Uh, there are cards that aren't heavy on ranked fighters, which are truly full of nobodies. Yeah. This is not the case here. There are some that's established, true. like finished product fighters, some veterans here. Like, yeah, I'm into it. Yeah, and uh, yeah, the only bummer for us really is that you know, yeah, bloody elbow needs. We 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 really thrive on the big events to, yeah, to get traffic in and get people reading the site and all that. So when the events aren't big and nobody cares, nobody's really reading about MMA right now, and that yeah. kind of sucks. You know, yeah, you can't you can't really. There's no Grant Dawson interview you can get. That <laughs> yeah. Will, that will drive readers to interest in this card. Who knows? Maybe it'll pick up with next week's card. At least Sadiq Yusuf has a personality. It's true. All right. But we're talking about the prelims right now with a featured prelim light heavyweight bout between Felipe Linz and Iwan Kudalaba that is a... I'm actually surprised it's a, it's on the prelims because it's exactly the kind of light heavyweight <laughs> yeah. slash heavyweight fight the UFC loves to demand people want to pay attention to. I'm glad it's on the prelims. Oh, I'm I'm glad it's on the prelims too. I'm just surprised. Yeah, you know, I, I would much rather Dober Glenn Morono Buckley and Algio Hernandez, all good fights, mm-hmm. over virtually any light heavyweight fight. Pretty much, pretty much. Um, so yeah, um, Felipe Lins has been um, fine mm-hmm. as a two o fiver. Not particularly compelling, but um, certainly fits in better than I think I would have expected as a two o fiver. He looks faster and more dynamic, having lost all that weight. Mm-hmm. His cardio looks better. 
Yeah. Um, and I think he is an example of a fighter who was just uh, easier to hurt at heavyweight. Yeah. You know, like that uh, light, not that light heavyweight isn't full of uh, absolute punchers. Uh, also, not that like Maxime Grecian is one of them. No. But um, yeah, he looks like a reasonably strong. Tanner Bozer wasn't so one of them either. It's it's true. We'll see. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> maybe. But he has been reasonably consistent round to round. Yeah, he's and a very one speed, one tempo, one idea fighter. But yeah. he does it three rounds. You know, that could be a problem for Iwan Kudalaba. It could, because. Um, yeah, I mean, like Kudalaba, Kudalaba is the same man he has ever been. Yeah, he's he also has, a speed, one tempo, one idea fighter, but it's more for like a round and a half. Yeah, and uh, and half of his ideas are stupid. Yeah. Because <laughs> he gets so mad that he just can't like see straight. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Kudalaba is like one of the like least imaginative fighters on the roster. And then he's just like... He just like uh, it's it's like you could you could do an amazing like lab tests on Iwan Kudalaba just to test like we do this thing this thing happens, mm-hmm. you know very much input output kind of guy. Yeah, um, super susceptible to being sucked into a fight that doesn't favor him at all. And um, I'm kind of tempted to pick Felipe Linz for that reason. Yeah, because Kudalaba, you know. He's got a wrestling game. He's got power. Mm-hmm. He's got a chin. He's a good athlete. There's a lot to commend him, but his fights have a very, very familiar pattern where he will just go way, way too hard really, really early, and anything goes wrong. He cannot turn down the intensity, but his decision-making goes out the goddamn window. Yeah. Um. And if he can't finish Felipe Linz early, then, like, how is Felipe Linz not just going to keep doing stuff? Like, you know, like, uh, uh, Maxime Grishin is, a, is, a, is like a very frustrating fighter to have to fight three rounds against. Mm-hmm. But Linz is just in there plugging away, like nothing changed. I don't know. I think I'm going to pick him. I love Kudalaba, but uh, not, not in a way that makes me think that he's a world-beating talent. It does feel like, yeah, the big thing for Kudalaba is that you have to be really capable of melting down yes. for him to... You have to be more capable of melting down than he is yes. for him to beat you. Yes. So, yeah, you know, he's got a win over Devin Clark. And even then, he found a way to lose to Ryan Spann. Yeah. Right? Like, even that is not insurance against Kudalaba just self-destructing. And he's got a win over Khalil Roundtree. And, like, yeah, like, you you can be a very... If you're a very breakable guy, yeah, he can break you. Or but, if, as Khalil was at the time, you're super susceptible to one part of his yeah. game. Yeah. I think probably Linz is just too big and strong to be easily yeah. muscled around. Yeah. And if he's not going to be muscled around, yeah, it's not an interesting game. It's just one twos and clinching. Mm-hmm. That's the entire Felipe Linz bag of tricks. Mm-hmm. But he'll do it for 15 minutes. Yep. So, yeah, I'll I'll trust that he will just start to catch 
Kudalaba if Kudalaba starts to slow down. Yeah. Um, and that he can just stay on his, his idea with reasonable consistency and confidence. And yeah, he might get lit up early if Kudalaba charges out there and takes him out. But even like that fight that Kudalaba had with Tanner Bowser, you kind of have to wonder like what would have happened if Tanner Bowser had just, if the ref hadn't waved it off, if Tanner Bowser had just been allowed to eat punches for another minute and then like start fighting back. Mm-hmm. Would he have won? Maybe. Right. right. And Tanner Bowser is much more likely to get run over by somebody early because he tends to immediately default to the back foot. Yeah. And let you come to him. Whereas Linz is much more of a get out there in the middle distance and throw one twos kind of guy. Yeah. So, yeah, I'll pick Linz as well. It'll be a fun, you know, it, it should be a pretty close fight for as long as Kudalaba's head is in it. Mm-hmm. And then if it, he, his head gets out of it, it's not likely to last a lot longer because he just makes enough bad decisions that opponents can't help but beat him. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. This is he's the kind of guy who, who, who goes into a shell when he starts losing, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Definitely not. Let's see. Kudalaba. Opened at minus 103 and is currently at minus 142. Uh, Linz opened at minus 107 is currently at plus 128. I get that it's close, but I don't really see any reason for Kudalaba to be favored here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Linz is isn't great. This is why they don't turn out uh, many hulks in that part of the world. Yeah, yeah. It's dysfunctional. They're, they make Draculas over there. That's right. You can't put it, you can't get a Hulk out of a Dracula soil. Absolutely not. No. Yeah. This is, this is that whole like classic sort of, you know, old style fascism where they were always just like, oh, we're going to take this land and we're going to turn it over to producing like turnips. <laughs> and everybody in this part of the country is going to grow turnips. Mm-hmm. And we're gonna take this part of the land, and we're gonna we're gonna like mine, you know, mine steel, and you know, mine iron, and we're gonna make steel, and that's what we're gonna do here. Mm-hmm. And then, like, you know, it would just be like full of practical, like impracticality. It's like what the soil isn't right for that, or there's no, you know, there's no iron here yeah. to be mined. Like, you have to ship something from, you know, five hundred just... miles away when we could just do it, do it, do the job there. <laughs> Yeah. Now, on the other hand, if he'd gone with Frankenstein for a nickname, like you can totally grow a Frankenstein on Dracula soil. But Hulk, it just doesn't work. I had to check how racist we're being, but Moldova is, in fact, right next to Romania. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, so we're we're good. good. We're in the clear. We're good. Yeah, no, we're 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 all dark castles and you know for creatures of the night, mm-hmm. kind of for yeah, both Frankenstein's, Dracula's, Hulks. No, I don't think so. Yeah, so I don't think so. Yeah, they really that's a zoning issue. I think you could maybe get a Wolfman or two. Yeah, no, no you I would. Do. You know, I, I, not what they're known for, but you could you could see it working. Yeah, 
You can make a Wolfman or two. Fishman is way out. Fishman oh is absolutely out. Yeah. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Even though they do have some swamps over there, I think. But no. yeah, no, no fish, man. Definitely not. No. Do they have oh, a single yeah. black lagoon? <laughs> not that I've heard of. Not that I've heard of. No. So, yeah, I think really that's the crux of the issue here. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's why we spent such a um, such a justifiable amount of time talking about this topic. Yeah, because it really. It's it's smart. We're smart. Yeah. <laughs> Smarter, smartest MMA show in the in the world. It's a low bar, but it's a low bar. But man, we soar right over it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's let's jump over talk about this woman's strawweight bout: Carolina Kovalkiewicz against Diana Belbita, and um. Man, if it weren't for wrestling, this would be a close fight. Yeah, right. Belbita has, to her credit, very slowly but surely been becoming a better striker. Just Mm -hmm. getting more confident, sitting down on her strikes better, throwing better combinations, doing things, you know, keeping her, her shots straight and everything. But she still cannot wrestle worth a goddamn yeah. God, they have practically the same flag, Romania and Moldova. <laughs> they know. They know. Okay. We're, we're know. not talking about we're not talking about that anymore. Okay. Yeah. Although we could be, because Belbita's from uh She's Romanian. She's Romanian, yeah. That's why I noticed. I was like, isn't that the same flag Kudalaba had? Oh no, it just doesn't have the the symbols on it. Yeah. But uh Yeah, and Kovalkevich, she looked good. She looked better. Than she has in a while against yeah. Vanessa Demopoulos last time out. Mm-hmm. That was the first time I have seen Kovalkiewicz in five years. Let's see, when was the last time felt like she really? Yeah, I mean, it's the first time I've seen Kovalkiewicz since 2018, mm-hmm. where she stepped into the pocket with authority and faith. That she was not going to get hurt when she did it. Mm-hmm. Like you can say, you know, she had her fight against Felice Herrig recently. She had her fight against Silvana Gomez Juarez recently, where she did a lot of pressuring in those fights. She looked like she was getting over the thing. That yeah, was, it it made it really clear in hindsight that like it, it really was. I think, oh, I can be knocked out. Yeah that like severely uh, hindered her ability to fight the way she, she fights, which has always been quite effective, but mm-hmm. it really does seem like it was just that loss to Jessica Andrade. And then like, yeah. she just didn't have any confidence anymore. Yep. And she slowly got it back. And I think you're right against Demopolis. It looked like she's, she's feeling herself again. Yeah. Like she would walk in, put a hand on Demopolis's shoulder and just start cracking her with right hands. And it's just like, yep, this is it this is who you got to be, you know? Yeah. She doesn't, doesn't she have doesn't. to be a lot of nuance here. You just have to trust that, oh, I can sit down here and dish it out. Right. She doesn't appear to have lost a big step physically. Mm-mm. Just look like she uh, hated every moment of the fight she was having before, and now she doesn't anymore. Yes. <laughs> and uh, that version of Kovalkiewicz is should have all the success she needs against Belbita. Because there's a lot yeah. that she can get done once she's in the clinch. 
that Belbita is just not well prepared for. Mm-hmm. Getting yeah. there, yeah, Belbita will be able to land some good shots. Absolutely. And uh, Stinger with stuff, but Belbita's no kind of power puncher. Yeah. She's not no kind of knockout artist. And, you know, Kovalkiewicz is a pretty good clinch upper body wrestler. Yeah, she is. So. She's she's always been surprisingly strong. She is she's just a pretty good technical wrestler as well. Yep. Um, and there is also the thing with Kovalkiewicz, which like I mean, Belbita's a better power puncher than Kovalkiewicz. Sure. Um, you know, she certainly earlier in her career she was knocking people out, mm-hmm. and um, she she will probably do it again. I mean, I think she's she's a decently uh, she's endowed with decent power, but. Uh, so is Kovalkiewicz. It's just that you don't see it in her striking. Yeah. Because there is a Holly Holm-esque disconnection between her footwork and her hands. That yeah. in, in free movement, in open space, she can't, le- she doesn't, her style does not allow her to leverage she, the she power has that, she possesses. She has a very common MMA thing where her striking suddenly clicks into shape the moment she has a hand on something. Exactly. Yeah. When she has to be mindful of moving her feet, she's like uh, early career Drew Dober. Like, yeah. Uh, and she can hit hard, and you see it. Um, exactly. You see it when she clinches up or when she's in top position. Yep. She can crush people with her hands. Uh, she's actually quite powerful. I think she's quite strong overall. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, that really is the wrinkle that makes this a... Uh, the straightforward Kovalkiewicz pick that it wouldn't be otherwise is the fact yep. that she's going to crash into clinches. She's going to hit takedowns. She's going to either just grab a hold of Bilbito or even get on top of her. And that is where she is going to be able to take over. Kovalkiewicz opened at minus 152 is currently minus 158. And Belbita opened at my, plus 137 is currently plus 142. Again, the Kovalkiewicz has had a bunch of losses lately, but this this should be a little wider for her. Yeah, I think so, too. Uh, all right, that brings us to a men's flyweight bout. Nate Manis versus Mateus Mendonca. This is a flyweight fight? Why doesn't it feel like a flyweight fight? Because they're, neither of them are flyweights. They are both. The flyweight is rapidly fi- becoming a weight cutters division in a way that it never used to be. Yeah, Mendonca's last fight was against Boshrod, and he didn't look small. No, and Manis is five foot ten. Lord. Um, yeah, there's no reason he should be a flyweight at all. But he lost back. He, he lost Umar Nurmagomedov, and that just apparently did, you know did to his confidence what so many other MMA fighters have felt for him, where they're like, oh, I, I met somebody who could boss me around. Yeah. And just wasn't like, I wasn't bigger than, I'd better get, I better be even bigger than my competition. Yeah. And then he met Tajir Lambakov, who's just <laughs> yeah. like, okay, well, I'll Damn just out-wrestle you and be better than you anyway. Yeah. So, God, it's a shame that it works, right? It really is a shame that it works, that like you can't deny that being bigger is just across the board. It's advantageous. Yeah, no, they're actually, we have actual statistics now that yeah. you get like 
It's like seven. Your 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 percentage chance of winning goes up like seven percent per pound. Yeah, there there are definitely um, downsides, which we have sure. we have uh, talked about plenty of times, you know. But the general being the general bigger works. Is, it's why there's weight yeah. classes. Yep. Doesn't matter how much better Demetrius Johnson is than Francis and Ganu, and Ganu could squish him between his thumb and his forefinger, and so. Um. Yeah, it's just a shame, though. Like, these guys should yeah. be banned some ways. <laughs> They're both too big for this division, and it has ruined my uh, otherwise very durable sense that if there was a flyweight fight happening, I was sure I was in for a really good time. It was going to yeah. be two of the just, like, virtually weightless, bounciest, scrambliest fighters I'd ever seen. And now it's just, like, sluggers who aren't good enough for bantamweight. Yeah. And wrestlers who aren't good enough for bantamweight. Yeah, it's really honestly just like, I think it's more speaks to just how much of a shark tank bantamweight has become. Yeah. That people a are, lot of fighters are having to look at that and be like, oh, I, I, I got to find something else. <laughs> yeah. Collateral damage of the, the uh, just sheer quality of 135. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't really know what to make of this matchup, to be honest. Yeah. I, I, I like Nate Manus's game a lot better. Mendonca's just a much messier fighter. Um, you know, like he's obviously he's big and strong. I'm not sure what he's going to look like at 125. He Mendonca is only five foot six. So he's at least, he's not scrawny though. He's not scrawny. No, he, he looked fine against Basharat. In his last fight, he, he looked more heavily muscled than Basharat. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. Like as a first fight in a new weight class, that definitely gives me a bad feeling about what he might look like. Uh, it's possible that size and strength will allow him to win in wrestling exchanges with Manus. I mean, that is how people have been beating him. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, Manus is. I think a, a much, he's he, well, not much, but he is a cleaner yeah. technician on the feet. It's not going to look like Basharat Mendonca. No, it's not hard to be cleaner than Mendonca. No, exactly. He's a very typical kind of Brazilian grappling powerhouse fighter who is just a complete mess of uh, standing. Manus's whole thing is really like, it's all about being calm under pressure. Yeah, but, he has a lot of fights that aren't necessarily going well for him early. That Yeah, and then it's just his ability to, oh, I'll sit down and be, stay clear-headed in the pocket so that yeah. while you're swarming me, I will find big counter shots, and I'll be able to do that consistently. And the problem for him, then, that ends up being when, when fighters are actually technical— and can yeah. actually do other things than just walk in on him over and over again. Yeah, or they just have a suitably effective switch up that they're walking yeah. in with, which is why a lot of his losses are people out wrestling him. Granted, they they tend to be very good grapplers, but he's only had the three losses. Yeah, I mean, but it's... Umar Nurmagomedov and uh, and Ulambakov were two of them, and they both out wrestled yeah. him. Yeah. But Taylor Lapalus also just like sidekicked him, you know, right, just outstruck right. him. It's just like if you can approach Manus with something that isn't just yes. like I'm going to square up on you and 
and make you brawl with me, yeah. then his game starts to fall apart. Yeah. And Mendonca might be able to do that because he does, like, he's very clearly, a, he's a fighter who's very used to being the boss. Yeah. And so he, you know, he, he goes out there against Boshrod and he's just charging in. It's like, here's an overhand and a high kick and a double leg and they're all from too far out and they're all poorly set up. But he's going const he's constantly going oh, yeah. after aggressive switch ups with the idea that, oh, I'm just gonna be more physical and more aggressive than you and you won't handle it. Makes it a hard fight to call. It it does. You know, a guy like Boshra will take that apart, but I mean this is such a pared down version of the of, of the same kind of general idea. Yeah. Letting you walk onto things. Ugh. I don't know. I'm going to take Manus because he's been at flyweight already. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good enough reason. I, I do yeah. kind of question um, anytime a fighter makes their first appearance in a new division. Yeah, I'm going to take Mendonca, honestly, just because I think Manus is too tall to be a flyweight. I think yeah. 5'10", it just, like... And he's not like, I mean, he he looks like a cadaver in his tapology photo. Yeah. But he's not. It's not like he's you know. Um, oh God, who's the Hawaiian? Uh, the last samurai. Oh, um, uh, Louis Smolka. It's not like he's Louis Smolka out there where you're like, oh yeah, you're a willowy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he he's like, he by all rights should probably be a featherweight. They're both too big for flyweight. That much is clear. Yeah, but Mendonca, at least at five foot six, like it's just more of a like I'm cutting muscle kind of thing. Like, oh, he's thickly built. Sure. Main yeah. is it feels like are you shaving bone off? Like, <laughs> yeah. what is getting you down here? And I think Men- I, I'm I'm thinking maybe that Mendonca's just out-and-out aggression and wildness can keep Manus on his heels too much. Yeah, could be. But it's a 50-50, you know? Mendonca's got a style that it could be... I think Mendonca's got a better style if he can refine it more, whereas Manus has kind of walked himself into a trap of technique that he doesn't necessarily have the ability to maintain, you know? It's like, oh, you're trying to have this, like, patient back foot technical game that you don't really have the skill for. And I'm much more likely to just trust the guy who charges ahead with aggression at that point. Mm-hmm. But we'll see. I mean, you know, it, it was enough for Manus to beat uh, Tony Gravely and Luke Sanders, who both do a lot of the same stuff that Mendonca wants to do. And in Gravely's case, do do it more technically. And it could be just as dispiriting for Mendonca uh, as I think Ulambikov was for Manus. That Mendonca goes down in weight and, oh, this guy's bigger than me too. Yeah, I mean, he's even bigger than Boshrat. Yeah. So... I just don't know. I mean, given that size is an advantage, the fact that Manus is the bigger flyweight and not the one making his first attempt at that division. Sure. He just gives me some sort of <clears throat> intangible um, yeah. reasons for to, uh, to favor him. 
I just think Manus is, I think he's just, you know, I, I just think he's put himself in a position to fail. Yeah, a bit dysfunctional stylistically. Yeah. Stylistically, and just being like cutting all the way down to 125 repeatedly as a five foot ten fighter. Like, I just don't think it, yeah. it's going to, you know? Sure. I think you're more likely, he's getting to the point where you're starting to look at actually wrecking your body. Could Could very well be the case. Uh, odds on the fight, Manus. Ah, come on. There we are. Manus is the underdog, opened at plus 218, is currently plus 208. Mendonca opened at minus 252, is currently minus 240. There's no reason to have a pick in this fight. No reason to have a favorite. Like, Mendonca has a style that was built to be the the big man on the regional circuit. Yeah. Um, you know, he's he's a shoot box Diego Lima fighter, but it's all just the unchecked offense side. Like there's no measuring anything that he's doing. No. And uh Manus has a style that is built for somebody much more technical than him. Like he's he's kind of bantamweight well now flyweight Sam Alvey. You mm. know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's just like that's a that that is putting yourself in a rough position. Yeah. So there's the no reason is, to have a favorite. <clears throat> the game ain't as deep as your style wants it to be. Yeah. That's just, it, it makes it for a very difficult fight to pick. Yeah. Because Sam Alvey also did just beat a lot of dudes with that style. <laughs> yeah. Just crushing them with a hook off his back foot. Yeah. When it seemed like they should be able to just walk in and beat him. Yeah, I would say Sam Alvey was maybe harder to wrestle, but then Sam Alvey was in a much, much worse division. Yeah. So. All right. That brings us to a woman's strawweight bout. Conoco Murata, Vanessa Demopoulos. And um, this is is a weird fight, too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Murata seems like the phenom who's not as good as she should be. Yeah, very much so. And Demopolis seems like the fighter who might secretly be better than she seems like she is, mm-hmm. but also might just not be good at all. Yeah. Like, it's hard to tell because sometimes Demopolis can come up with something where it's like, okay, you're clearly a very powerful, strong athlete. And you can have some good ideas, some very dynamic ideas in moments where she hit like that arm bar on Gomez Juarez mm-hmm. or, you know, has landed some like huge shots on Ginny Frey and Oliveira and was able to hit some big takedowns in some of those fights too, where it's just like, Oh, you know, there's, there's something working here that if, if you just don't make the big mistakes that you seem prone to making then she's a very difficult fighter to deal with but then you kind of have the Carolina Kovalkiewicz fight where it's just like 
trouble came is it's like, what if I just walk you down and don't make any mistakes myself? Mm-hmm. And then Demopolis had no answer at all. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's a, that Kobo Kimmich fight, that's really a fight where it's like, okay, well, your your athleticism needs to show up here. Right. And it didn't. And uh, and then Murata, good athlete, yeah, decorated wrestler. So she just, I mean, I'm not ready to write her off, but she feels very much like a stalled work in progress. Yeah, and this is what happens to a lot of Japanese fighters. Yeah. Where... They have gyms around them that can teach them a lot of the, they teach them a lot of good fundamentals and then they just don't get the training to put it together. In a I meaningful. think it's a root because she has been, I think for some time now, the last two years, at least uh, two or three years with um, uh, Kieran Fitzgibbons at uh, CSA and like in Northern California. Yeah where like a few of the alpha male guys train. Yeah. Um, but I just think it's, you know, she just doesn't seem to have put it together and gotten comfortable. Yeah. Well, she yet. started really late too, you know, yeah. somebody who started her MMA career in 2016 at, well, I mean, she was only 23 when she started. It's just actually, she kind of just got stalled out by like, I don't know, even just kind of, I mean, she got the injury, so she lost a couple of years there. Yeah, and I Maybe. think she was just sort of like, she was a yeah. Japanese fighter. Like, just her game wasn't really being developed in any actual yeah. way. Yeah. And by the time she got here, I mean, I, I think probably around the time she got to Invicta is when she started training in the U.S. Yeah. By that point, she was late 20s and had yeah. spent an entire career as a wrestler and then in a, a good chunk of an MMA career sort of being stagnant and so yeah. she just doesn't look comfortable on the feet or like she has a particularly clear idea of like how to bank rounds yeah that's she, the bigger thing because like she's got some actually nice like really solid punching form yeah yeah she is being schooled but she, she has uh you know she, uh, it's like oh god who's that Japanese welterweight that we just had to recently just come to terms with the idea that he's just not. You had to come to terms. I had to come to terms. Yeah, I was like, he's going to lose. Yeah, I forget his yeah. name, but I know who you're talking about. But uh, yeah, that guy, much like him, she just has a great, great sense of timing. Yeah. When she is stepping in, or when her opponent is stepping in on her, she will land one punch incredibly clean with her full body weight behind it. She is great at timing that one strike, but then there's no, there's not any real ability to follow up behind it. There's no fluidity. It doesn't work with her footwork to set up anything else. Mm -hmm. And so, and her whole, her whole striking game is really kind of an inside boxing game. Was it Yusuko Kinoshita? Yeah. Yeah. Kinoshita. And so it's just, you know, there are big gaps. She's a great takedown artist. She's a great ground and pound artist. But there's also, you know, she's happy to spend time in guard trying to be aggressive, which is a very submission available position. Mm-hmm. 
but she got you know her arm bent around so badly by uh, Verna Janjaroba. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, it's just kind of there. There's great athleticism and there are great pieces, but there's not a whole a whole game there yet. Yeah, it may never be. May never be. I still think that's enough to beat Demopolis. I agree. If if she's gonna take away Demopolis's biggest weapon, which is the athletic advantage, mm-hmm. she can just compete for raw physicality, which I think she can. Mm-hmm. Then there's no the only place that Demopolis is more technical than her might be her grappling, but Demopolis's grappling is all uh, dynamic bursts, submission over position, sacrificial mm-hmm. stuff. So. I gotta yeah. go with Murata. which, which in a, in a very very specific way, Murata has proven she can deal with before because she has two Von Flu choke wins on her record. Yeah, women pulling guillotines on her. Yep, and it not working out for them. Yeah, she's positionally a much better grappler. I mean, she is a good wrestler. I would love for this to be a thing where she got a gruesome injury and was forced to take like two years off. Yeah, and just. Really I would love per- to think she improved, right? Yeah, yeah. Spent that time um, doing as much just skill, light skill training as she could in the gym. Yep. Because um, like you said, like uh, there, there's a clear impact on her uh, with her new coaching mm-hmm. um, on her striking form. Like she's she's got the right ideas in her like B phase, mm-hmm. but it does not feel like a strategically cohesive area of the fight for her. No, yeah. Where she can like comfortably win rounds or adapt to difficulties she without feels, having to go to her wrestling. She feels a lot like uh Tracy Cortez did yeah. before her last fight. Yeah. Where yeah, you exactly. kind of like, oh yeah, you have some strikes you can throw here but they don't really, you don't seem comfortable with it and they don't lead to anything. Yeah. And as yet it is unclear if, uh, if, uh, Murata has like the, the dog <laughs> in her, that yeah. Tracy Cortez sort of unveiled there where it was like, yeah. cause that was not just a, Oh, her form has improved. It had, it was her suddenly revealing that in fact, she is comfortable like standing her ground and just lacing somebody up. Yeah. With clean shots. That is, I don't know that Murata has that, yeah, that that um, mental edge required to be able to do something like that. Maybe she can develop it. I think Cortez developed it. Um, yeah. But yeah, but I'm still going to pick her because yep. uh, Demopolis, as you said, only wins when she has a marked physical advantage. And I just don't think she does. And I also think that Murata, I know she got submitted in her fight with John Jadoba, but John Jadoba, I think, is a higher quality all-round oh, yeah. submission grappler than Demopolis. Unquestionably. Uh, a much higher tier, and um, uh, Demopolis is much less positionally conscious than somebody like John Jadoba. Yep. So Murata can probably outgrapple her, too, by virtue of being the better wrestler and getting to better positions. Feels likely. Yeah. Murata is a pretty heavy favorite. Opened at minus 244, is now minus 308. Demopolis opened at plus 186 and is currently at plus 260. I don't have a big problem with it. 
Uh, it's women's straw weight. So the idea of Demopolis like coming up with a knockout seems pretty far-fetched, even yeah. if she does have some power to her. Yeah. And then otherwise, I say Demopolis, she's just she's too sacrificial a fighter for somebody for going against somebody who she's not clearly more physically gifted than and who has a decided wrestling advantage over her. Yeah. So. All right. That brings us to a bantamweight fight. Aurichi Lang against Johnny Munoz Jr., your boy. <laughs> forever saddle, branded your boy with johnny munoz jr <laughs> you know you saw that jab and you're like man hey i'm a simple man you know yeah, yeah. i like jabs and munoz still has a good one and for Who as long man, as it... but man jab man <laughs> <laughs> damn if munoz had a had a had a big trunk on him too uh-huh he had a little dump truck action going on in addition to that jab now we're talking right um if uh you know like for, for as long as it was working against uh daniel santos mm-hmm. munoz's like positional striking game looked good yeah he was, he was landing his jab it's got that's why i like this not just a jab but is a jab that is sort of the as it should be it's sort of the basis of all the other parts of his striking game it mm-hmm. is the barrier to uh to closing down on him too easily it is the avenue to get out to the side to keep people from effect, uh, pressuring him too effectively. Um, it is like this little key, this little lead, uh, wedge that makes a lot of other things work. And, um, and then he kept playing guard. <laughs> yeah. what, was, what was he doing? He like, at one point, I think he shot and he wasn't going to get it. He's like, I'll try guard. Yep. And it didn't work. But then he kept being content to play guard. So there were a lot of things where it was like a a sort of a half takedown from Santos or a missed Mm -hmm. takedown from Munoz. A position where any other fighter would just start scrambling like mad. And then maybe he doesn't lose that fight if he does that. Because it's not like he was getting crushed. Yep. But he just kept playing guard. And anytime he was put in a position, he was like, I know, butterfly hooks. I'm going <laughs> to elevate this guy. And it's like, just get back up. What are you doing? Just get back up. Uh, and he didn't have that instinct. It was very strange no. for a like a modern schooled fighter uh, who otherwise seems to have a really um, such a such a smart game on the feet as to be boring. Yeah. That he then uh, just had completely the wrong idea of how to deal with like a concerted wrestling attack. It was strange. Mm-hmm. Should be corrected, but I have no yeah. reason to think it's gonna be. No, I mean until I is, see it. This is a guy who's now thirty and who's been fighting since twenty fifteen. He's eight years into his pro career, He's and got that the was skills. His... It was just such a terrible t- decision. Yeah, just strategic nightmare that he would content to be so content to continue having a fight that he was losing like that. Yep. Couldn't adjust. Um, that being said, that particular, that specifically doesn't seem like it's going to be a massive problem against Arichi Lang. I mean, um, it's a, pulling guard a lot is a problem. No matter who you're fighting. He pulled, he pulled guard like the 
the one time, I think. The other times it was that he would get sat down on a takedown and then continue to play. He didn't wasn't pulling it. But uh, he was getting out wrestled, and then instead of wrestling back, he decided to go full jujitsu mode and butt scoot. It and also not. has to be said, though, that like Willie Cat is not the kind of dude that should be shutting your wrestling game down so bad that you can't. Definitely not. That you need to default the guard. So I don't know, like I don't even know with Orichi Lang where you'd be like, ah, well, he, you know, Orichi Lang can't shut his wrestling game down, like you know. We are already at a point where you have to ask who who is who who can't shut his wrestling game. Who is down? truly incapable of shutting it down? Yeah. yeah, it's it's more just that Aurichi Lang doesn't really try to wrestle very often. Yeah, that's true. That's why I say it may not be like that. Aurichi Lang wants to walk people down and light them up with his hands. Yeah. I'm just saying, um, Punya shoots in on him. And misses, or it gets stuffed, and then he pulls guard. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That's such a bad habit. Um, yeah, in that context, it could easily come back to bite him. While they're, like, as long as they're on the feet, I think this could be a really interesting fight. Sure. Arichi Lang wants to pressure, wants to put together some some short combinations and kind of walk him down, and is going to have to deal with uh, the only thing I like about Munoz's game. <laughs> just, just now cursed me to have him be considered one of my favorite fighters. <laughs> it's his jab. His jab and his, the footwork around it, it, they're good. Yep. And uh, that's an interesting battle to see a like rangy pressure fighter come up against a, a smaller guy who is just positionally more sound in, in the striking. Um, but it's just hard to pick Munoz after that last. Like yeah, <laughs> it's just hard. It was such a bad performance, and it was like all him. It was just down to his decision making was terrible. Yep. So no. I don't know. Pick Arichi Lang. At least he's down for three rounds of super consistent aggressive fighting. Yeah, that's how I have to look at it. It's just like the only thing I have seen from Munoz that is like a positive asset to him at all <laughs> in the past couple of years yeah. is his jab. It's good. It's a good jab. A good jab, but everything else is just a mess. Well, it's not even a mess. It's just absent. It's nothing else to back it up. Yeah, there's just no structure. There's just nothing. And Arichi Lang, yeah, he will walk forward. He is a he's trying to be a pressure counter puncher. I think he's trying to do that with a brawler's mindset. Yeah. So there's an extra in you know, it's the ideal pressure counter puncher is the guy who pressures, walks forward, and lightly taps. He faints. He jabs, he low kicks, he feels his way into range and forces you to pull the trigger on yeah. something heavy first, and then he comes back with something. Yeah. Nori Chilang is much more of a, I will walk forward and throw as hard as I can, and yeah. my, what I'm hoping will happen then is you will throw back at me, and then I can counter you. Yeah, try me. Yeah. And, and uh, that can result in somebody like Ayman Zahabi trying him and... Just knocking him flat. Yeah, it is going to be a. Uh, it is a style that will lead him into some entirely unnecessary losses. It, it also resulted in Cody Durden having tremendous success against him with his jab. Yeah, but Cody Durden 
many promises the man may have, both within and without his fighting style, he has a lot of other stuff to back up that jab. Yeah, he does other stuff. He's got a complete game. And, um, Munoz just doesn't. Just doesn't. He just doesn't. So I'm going to take Arichi Lang. He, he could easily lose this fight, but yeah, I'm going to pick him. Can even see Munoz successfully out wrestling him if he would just commit to his shots and really insist yeah. on them as a way of dealing with the pressure and have that be the complement to what is otherwise a very nice jab and 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 movement oriented boxing game. But which, which, uh, to what is otherwise a very nice jab and a general countenance and <laughs> you know bearing. He's got a nice jab and uh, a dignified gentleman. Really, I just yeah. have a good feeling about him. You know. <laughs> No, it is like Munoz. Munoz has like a rock solid foundation, this beautiful foundation, and then he's living on it in a sleeping bag in a tent that he didn't set up correctly. <laughs> yeah. Where's the house? Like, where is like, the house? Even, even a shack would be better. <laughs> Just build something. Why is this foundation here? Yeah. What's going on it? Yeah, it's. I would love to see him develop that. You got a great foundation. You could develop a m- bunch of stuff on top of it, but boy, what a strategic nightmare that last showing was. So I just can't pick him now. Yeah. Munoz opened at plus 111. He's currently at minus 106. And uh, Chi- Aori Chilang opened at minus 122 and is currently at minus 104. Yeah, I mean, dead even is fine. I just wouldn't pick Munoz. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's basically it. I mean, it, you can yeah. absolutely construct in your mind the way that Munoz wins the, uh, this matchup. Arichi Lang sure. is not that complicated a guy to beat. No. When you have somebody, like I say, it, it, the ideal way to be a pressure counterfighter is to, like, you know, use tact- tactics and deftness and, yeah. like, create exchanges where the other fighter, your opponent, has to overreach and give give up openings while you don't give up openings. Yeah. Ari Chilang, he's more like a flasher. Yeah. Like yeah. He's running at you with his raincoat open. Yeah. And like, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And even and I got to go back to that fight with Cody Durden, like even with a surprisingly yeah. deft jab and a far more determined and um, uh, and decisive wrestling uh, uh, game. That was a blood and guts fight. Like, yeah, there's a reason I reach fights the way he does. If you can't clean his clock like Zahabi did, you are just in for a very difficult fight where he's going to test you everywhere he can. Yep. Uh, and so, yeah, I, yeah. Got to pick him. But, right. but please button button that trench coat, sir. Yeah, yeah. Come on, man. Put that away. Nobody nobody needs to see that. We we want a little we want a little gentleness, a little, you know. Yeah. Little, if our Rachel Lang would come in there and just show a little thigh. Yeah, a little charm. <laughs> you know, keep some mystery. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I want a more coy bro, yeah. uh, coy uh pressure performance out of my fighters. Yeah. All right. That brings us to a woman's flyweight bout. Montana De La Rosa, J.J. Aldrich. And... Uh, Wasn't that long ago, uh, J.J. had her last fight. Yeah, she just she's, fought. And then, she's trying uh, to get back in the saddle, I feel like. Yep. Egger dropped out of this fight, and Aldrich jumped right back, jumped right back in. I kind of like that for her, and I kind of like this as a matchup. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is very much to me a one of the many fights over J.J. Aldrich's career where I'm looking at it being like, you should be able to win this. Yeah, and she clearly regained some much-needed confidence Yeah, in that fight with Naliang. Like, of course she was going to win it, but her reaction afterwards really yeah. sort of underscores the pressure she was feeling in her previous losses and the, the frustration she was experiencing. That, uh, And so I'd love to see her come in, coming in here looking like her confidence is restored, looking like the J.J. Aldridge that we both enjoy watching. Uh-huh. Uh, against another fighter who we think is sort of like just a dark horse, solid fighter. Yep. It's cool. Let's see, am I supposed to be talking about this? It is you. Yeah, I took okay, over. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, the so the big thing first and foremost for De La Rosa that continues to be her unfortunate handicap is that she was given a striking game that she can't really use. Mm. She was, she, she's been saddled with the, uh, Oh God, why am I forgetting? Uh, who was the woman who recently basically, I think had to retire after she was a former straw weight and moved up to flyweight. Seemed like a good wrestler, got trapped into a back foot striking game. It's not. It's not ringing any bells. Oh, it, once I say it, you'll be like, well, of course, uh, Cynthia Calvillo. Oh yeah, yeah. She's saddled with the Cynthia Calvillo problem, which is, um, I yeah. mean, in Calvillo's case, it was a back foot striking game that just made no sense at all for her. In De La Rosa's case, it's a pocket combination striking game. Mm-hmm. Where it's just like, you are one of the most foot slow fighters out there. You have, like, there's no, you trying, you trying to sit down in, fr- in front of somebody and throw combinations, it just, it doesn't work. Everybody is faster than you. Mm-hmm. And what inevitably ends up happening instead is she just ends up, either falling into the clinch or getting clinched up by her opponent. Yeah. Um, Because she stays right there in front of them. And, you know, she's just not fast enough to, to put two strikes together. And from that point, De La Rosa can be a decent, you know, she's one of those wrestlers who is, as good offensively as she is bad defensively. Mm-hmm. So you really, it's whoever gets the initiative gets the takedown kind of thing with her. Mm-hmm. And then she gets to the best part of her game, which is her scrambling and her back takes where she can really compete with people mm-hmm. when she has to fight her way through the mat. Yeah. Even against um, as like imposing an athlete as Macy Barber. Yeah. Early on in that fight, De La Rosa was like winning scrambles and was yeah. um, defending takedowns like in the second layer by just not being able to be controlled. Yep. You know, like I said, this should be a solvable problem for Aldrich. Yeah. She ha- has the faster hands. She is the better practiced striker. She's got a striking game that can work for her well. 
She's a good counterpuncher. She has the ability to be a good pressure counterpuncher. She actually does the mm-hmm. faint in, draw the opponent out, and counter them hard. A lot of great feints. She's um, on, on her best nights, not too picky about her target. She will work the body. Yep. Um, she's not the most... I mean, she is herself not particularly fast. And so she's not the most confident about um, like building an attack on people. Yeah. Uh, which is why there are quite a few J.J. Aldrich fights where early on it just looks like she's clearly the better striker. She's landing her counters, her jab is getting home, and then she kind of, like, the jab keeps working, and she's like, okay, what now? Yeah. Uh, And a lot of fights, there is, like, a momentum shift away from her the longer they go on. Not because she isn't continuing to fight well, but because she lets her advantage kind of wither Yep. by, by failing to do anything with it. Yeah, that that makes this fight a little difficult because yeah. it's not hard to see Aldrich coming out and having an early advantage. Yeah. And it's not hard to see Montana De La Rosa tying up and clinching up with her. Pretty much everybody ends up clinched up with J.J. Aldrich. She sure. ends up clinched up with everybody. And at that point, you have the potential for 50-50. And you also have the potential for a ground game that Aldrich might start out winning and might not keep winning. Yeah. I think De La Rosa is bigger than her, isn't she? Uh, feels that way if she's not. De La Rosa is 5'7", and Aldrich is 5'5". Five, five. So, yes. Yeah. So, there's, there's a high pros- probability here of Aldrich getting a takedown, getting in De La Rosa's guard, and then getting her back taken in the ensuing scramble and spending a whole bunch of time in the round trying to peel De La Rosa off her back. Yeah, could easily happen. I am going to pick J.J. Aldrich just off a strong start and better clinch positional awareness. Yeah. Aldrich can has the ability to win this fight just by pressing De La Rosa to the cage. And uh, landing little shots and being busy there. But it does feel very much to me like a fight that will start well for Aldrich and could very slowly see the advantage just slip away to the point that you're looking at a, a split decision and being like, oh, I don't know, you know. Did Aldrich do enough in that second round? Yeah. To get her hand raised, kind of yep. thing. Could even be Aldrich herself. Like another thing she does when she's sort of lost for uh, lost for ideas is like reach for that 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 familiar pressure valve of the wrestling. Yeah, that she will herself often engage in in the wrestling, and, and I'm not super confident that De La Rosa will just straight up out wrestle her, but it is a thing that she she shouldn't have to mess with, given that I, I think she can probably just let continue landing the cleaner strikes on De La Rosa. Yeah. I mean, honestly, if she just backed De La Rosa up with the jab and then clinched yeah. her and then dropped back to range and reset and did it all over again. Sure. That it would probably be a winning fight from her. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think this will, this could end up looking quite close, but I, I am going to pick Aldrich for the same reasons. She's a, a cleaner striker, better, much better defensively. Yeah. Uh, better counterpuncher by a good margin. Um, just a lot more flexible 
And sometimes that is to her detriment. She doesn't seem to have a clear plan. Yeah. But, um, you know, I, I wouldn't say that De La Rosa is a fighter that marks me, <laughs> that strikes me as somebody who usually has a clear plan. Either. No, De La Rosa is very much somebody who just, she goes out, she competes with people, and yeah. if she can find her way to her kind of fight, she can win. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll take Aldrich. Aldrich is the underdog here, opened at plus 121. Montana wow. uh, is current, or no, opened at plus 120, minus 129, I should say. I'm um, all over the place here. Aldrich opened at minus 129, is currently at plus 121. And De La Rosa opened at plus 117, is currently at minus 134. So those odds have swung wildly since opening. I don't really see any good reason for it. Not, I'm not that saying that Aldrich though, really. To... I mean, they're, they're still pretty yeah. close to even. They're still pretty close to even. I'm just not sure I see any reason that, like, De La Rosa starting as a dog should have flipped. You know? know? Probably people don't I, I it does it's it's not too unjustifiable to be like okay so jj beat lon young yeah who cares yeah who cares one yeah like you were gonna say one of the worst fighters on the roster uh and then before that she looked like she was not having a good time like she was yeah. not so maybe people are just thinking she's not recovered her confidence and maybe they're right and it should be noted in some mma math here montana de la rosa was able to very clearly beat and finish Ariane Lipsky mm. and Aldrich was not. If JJ had fought the version of Ariane that uh, De La Rosa fought, maybe. Yeah. It's also, I think that that's actually just a fight that, that favors De La Rosa better where her yeah, size yeah, yeah. and the ability to just get clinched up with people yeah. and drag them into a grappling battle. Sure really is going to hurt somebody like Lipsky, whereas Aldrich trying to like faint and find her way into the pocket and like, and be clever against a fighter who's just more powerful and faster was, yeah. It and just reasonably, left her stranded. And, and, and very reasonably technical at yeah. that range as well. Yeah. As far as it pertains to this, I'd be very surprised if Montana De La Rosa could beat Aldrich the way that Lipsky did. Yeah. I mean, Aldrich is a much better, and Aldrich is a much better grappler than than Lipsky, so yeah. All right. Well, on that note, we're wrapping things up. We're going to jump over for just a little bit more bonus content for you Substack subscribers, and for you not Substack Substack subscribers. I can say that real well. <laughs> for you non Substack subscribers, well, you know. Get why would no. why would <laughs> <laughs> no please continue listening to the show and consider subscribing no no, no, no. i'm with zane's first uh, impulse sit and spin motherfuckers <laughs> that's right but please subscribe yeah but please subscribe <laughs> sit sit spin and then hit subscribe to access the bonus content of this show you must be a paid subscriber to do that Go to bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com and subscribe today. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Podcast production. Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com. Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox. We're also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets, 
Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcast and you will get new shows throughout the week, including the MMA Bunker and MMA Tete-a-Tete shows with Kid Nate, the Level Change Podcast, the Hey Not the Face Podcast, the MMA Vivisection Main Card and Prelims UFC Preview Shows, the Sixth Round Post Fight Show, the Show Money Podcast, and the MMA Depressed Us.